Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's going to give us a list of seven principles for living life in God's love so that we can do what? What he said at the first verse, <laughs> imitate his life so he can share it to those around us. Tonight we're going to see the word pop up a few times, walk. Remember that when Paul uses the word walk, it's really a metaphor for live. Live this way, live this out. And he talks, we talked about it now a couple weeks ago, about walking in love. That that isn't based on emotions. It isn't based on some mushy, syrupy feeling. But it really is a choice. It is a determination, agapao love, that is a divine love that says, this is how you begin to walk. You choose to love the people around you. And the things that God says he wants us to walk in, it's really about a lifestyle that expresses God's love and chooses to love the people around us by the way that we live and express his life. Last week, last couple of weeks, we've really had some pretty tough talks, haven't we? Pretty challenging. Well, they're going to continue tonight because Paul's getting down and dirty. He's cutting to the core of really some practical Christianity. We talked last week about what it meant to walk purely, that when you choose a life of purity, guess what? Literally, you're loving God, not only with your being, but with your body. And you're loving the people around you because you're not using them. When you face temptation and dealing with areas of impurity with your words towards someone, your actions with someone, and you choose purity, guess what? You're acting in love. You're acting in love because you're keeping your heart and your mind pure and clean before God. Why? Well, so His life can begin to flow through you to other people. You become unhindered, unburdened by guilt, regret, and the consequences that can come about because of impure living. Your words and your actions don't diminish your ability to reach out to people around you and to minister to them so you can extend to them God's grace and favor because when they look at you, they don't look at you as, well, boy, I can't believe they're a Christ follower. Then we talked about walking in the light in verses 6 through 14. Paul says, your children of the light walk in it. What does that mean? Well, Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8. As we walk with him, the fruit of it is that whenever there is immorality, impurity, bad talk, darkness, guess what? If we're really children of the light, Paul says these are the three things that we bring to it. Goodness, righteousness, and truth because we're children of the light. Light is dominant. You control darkness with light. You do not control light with darkness. So any dark situation we go into, however small it is, but it brings just a little shade, a little shedding of God's light. That's why Paul says this is so important that we live these seven things out. So we're going to pick it up today in verse 15 and look at four of five more principles. Next week, I'm going to talk about the seventh principle as an introduction. We're going to be talking about husbands and wives next week. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I will say something. And actually, I think we have a surprise for you. So if you come, it'll be a little different. So just kind of get ready for that, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 says this. Now, pay, pay careful attention then to how you walk or live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. 
making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. Some of your translations will say debauchery. But, big but here again, be filled with God's Spirit. And then he moves to another section. Well, when you're filled with God's Spirit, these kinds of things are going to happen. You're going to speak to one another. There's going to be fellowship. And you're going to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The psalms there are probably the psalms, the 150 that are in the book of Psalms. The hymns are songs they would have sung that focused on God, His character, and His works. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is probably one of those. There's another one in Colossians chapter 1 that they would have used in the early church to worship God. And of course, the spiritual songs are probably songs that focused on their experience, what God did for them, kind of like when we sing about amazing grace today. So he says, I want you to be singing and making music to the Lord in your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in the fear of Jesus Christ. So the third thing he says, you're supposed to walk in purity, walk in the light, but walk as wise people. What is wisdom? What's well, the essence? The essence of it is simply this, it's the practical application of knowledge. So to be a wise person, you have to have knowledge about something, but then you've got to walk it out. You've got to apply it. You've got to apply the knowledge that you have to the situation that you're involved in. A wise person in God's economy, based on the Bible, learns something, and then they go, aha, here's a moment where I can apply this. That's right. I shouldn't talk that way about my friend. Okay? I'm not going to do that. I am going to apply the truth that I, that I learned to this situation. That is a person who is growing in wisdom. Now wisdom starts with God. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Do you see that? Wisdom and knowledge are linked together. But then he says, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13 says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Fear doesn't have to do, fearing God has to do with reverence. It's not this cowering, oh, what's God going to do to me? He's going to get mad at me and point his bony finger at me and he's going to, you know, just kind of poof, zap me. No, God doesn't operate that. The fear of the Lord talked about here, it says that there's such this reverence and awe of who God is and what He's done for you, that guess what? You go, I don't want to do anything to offend and, and sin against this one who loves me. And I'm going to hate evil. I'm going to hate the things that God hates. And then you'll see in Colossians that it says that wisdom is found in Jesus. Colossians 2, 2 and 3 says this, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what happens is as you walk with Jesus day by day, as you listen to Jesus and respond to Him, guess what happens? Well, you'll become a wiser person because you'll begin to listen to what He says, do what He says, because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Him. And then Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. So we see from that passage 
We get wisdom from walking with Jesus because wisdom is found in Him. As you get into God's Word, that's why we always have these reading plans for you. Every two months, they're going to be in your Bible or in your program on a Sunday. And then you can pick them up at the guest services table. You've got to read this to get the knowledge so you can know what to apply and turn it into wisdom for your life. And then he says you're going to be able to get it from one another. As we gather, we challenge and encourage one another to grow. That's the reason we put an emphasis on getting together in large group on Sunday, in growth groups during the week, in other activities. Because it is their loved ones that we get to challenge, encourage, and grow with one another. I'm sorry, God never called anyone to be a solo sapien Christian. But that's how so many, oh, I don't need the church. Yes, you do. Oh, the church is so, so, so imperfect and hypocritical. Yes, we are. And by the virtue of you saying that, so are you. Because what you're saying is, is you're above everybody else. And there are some fine people in this church besides the pastor. As I tell everybody, I say, it's a great church, you'll love the people, you got to watch the pastor because it's true. And that's why I'm so glad you're so loving and forgiving. But listen, friends, you, you, I need you, you need me, we need each other. You will never be a fully orbed, moving forward, growing Christ follower if you're just kind of hit and miss, happenstance, if I got time, if I don't get my feelings hurt, blah, blah, blah. So, gotta walk in wisdom because wise people, they're careful how they live, verse 15. So, how, how do you be careful? Some of you think, well, boy, it must be, I'm just gonna live fearfully, cautiously, play it safe. I'm not gonna step out and try anything. I'm not gonna do anything. I'm gonna avoid risk at all costs. I'm careful. Do you really think for a minute that that's what the Apostle Paul is saying? You know, some of us live with that, like that mother on, remember the movie, uh, Christmas Story? Be careful, you can't have a Red Ryder BB gun because you shoot your eye out. And some of us live our whole life like that. Oh, I can't do anything, I'll shoot my eye out. So I'm just going to sit in my little, little, little place here. You can't read Paul's life where he ever lived that way. If you're taking notes, just write down 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27. It tells about all the hardships he faced. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten almost to death. He received lashes. He was rejected. He almost drowned. And he lists, I mean, I just, there's so many things. This guy didn't play it safe. Acts 15 tells us that he risked, he risked everything with his life. Literally, he was a gambler for God, willing to roll the dice with his life. And Paul never played it safe or fearfully. This word here, to be careful, some of your translations will say circumspectly. It's the idea of a circle. It's like having Christian peripheral vision where you look around and you see around. Why? So that as you're walking, you know what's coming. You're not blindsided. You're not surprised by anything. You're fully aware. That's what wise people do. They don't just look here, but they're looking everywhere. Don't we all have things we're careful with? Some of you are really careful with your cars, your vehicles. You shine them up and you wash them and you detail them and you spiff them and you park them in your garage and don't let your kids drive them. 
I mean, you're really careful with her. Some of you ladies, you're careful with your home. You decor it up, you clean it out, and you make everything nice and pretty. I have golf clubs. When I play, after I play, I, I clean off the grooves, clean off the grips, and put them away nice so that the next time they're ready, hopefully I can play all right with them. And they look good, and I take care of them. See, we all have things we're really careful with. Some of us are bank accounts, you know, we count it every day and stack the chips and figure out how much we got, watch the stocks. None of those things are bad, but can I tell you something? There's a lot of things in our life that we need to be much more careful with. As you walk through this life, you need to be more careful with your marriage and your family. How about your character, your reputation, the influence that you have, how you live your life in this world, in your neighborhood, where you work. Paul says it's the unwise, the foolish that says, you know what, I really, I really don't give a care about well, how I look. What happens, the kind of persona that I put out. I don't care the decisions that I make. I don't care how they reflect on me, my family, Christ, or the church. I'm going to do it anyway. How many of you see people that live like that? You know what they do? Ultimately, eventually, they crash and they burn. I sit with people in my office. And I'll, I'll give them this, this wisdom here. Because they get in a place where I say, well, this is what God says. This, ain't, this isn't what Terry's saying. This, this is God. And it's not unusual, probably once a month, where I'll have somebody just look at me and go, you know what? I know. I ain't going to do it. Can I tell you what, you know what the Bible says that person is? In about four or five or six or twelve places. It says they're a fool. Because a lot of you, a lot of us here, we watch people. And we see them make really, really bad, disobedient, stupid, foolish decisions. And we go, well, <laughs> God must not care. Oh, he does. But like I say, God is not punitive. He's not coming after people to get them. It's our sin that ultimately catches up to us and gets us. It's the foolish person who says it really doesn't matter. Then he says you've got to make the most of your opportunities. A lot of your translations may say this, redeem the time. It's what it really means in the original. Of all of your resources, besides your money, what's the most important? It's your time. See, you can lose money. People can steal your money. People can crash your car. People can steal your stuff. But ultimately, it can be replaced. And guess what? You can make more money. But you can't get time back. Time can only be spent, but never saved. It's gone forever. There's no interest on it. You will either be investing it or wasting it. And God says, I've given every one of you an allotment of time, and I want you to make the most of it. Our days, our days loved ones, offer unique opportunities for ministry. Why? Because there is so much pain and brokenness and evil around us. So much so that it even causes some of you here that you probably questioned your own beliefs in God. Where's God? Because of the pain and the brokenness. Or you see it in somebody else and people will say, well, why would God allow that to happen? I don't know. 
but I'm sure glad I've got God to help them and to help us get through it when we don't understand. But the days are evil and God has said, I have placed you here to walk as people of opportunity. See, remember this, Jesus Christ is in you and me, and he gives us the wisdom to live, to make the most of the opportunities we face. The Christ follower, you and me, if you say you know Jesus Christ, you are here for a purpose. And we want to take these opportunities to bring the life of Jesus Christ into every one of them, into every place that we go, every day that we live. Why? Because then only we get to be those people in the power of Christ to help the damaged and broken people. I got an email this week from a gal from church who was just telling me about a gal that she's been ministering to that has cancer for, I don't know, probably almost a year now. And she just passed away. She got to go sit with her before she died and just minister the life of Jesus with her. That's what it's about. How about this next season? What if we treat each encounter with another person as an opportunity that can't be bought back? But we redeem it to make the most of it. When you're on the phone and you're not getting help and you want to scream and cuss at somebody. When you're on the phone and somebody's treating you badly, you're nice, you're gracious, you're winsome, you're patient. When you don't get your way, you're just kind, you're gracious, you're loving. Why? Because you're bringing the, the life and the light of Jesus into this situation. When you're not being appreciated, you still appreciate. Use every opportunity to influence and to help brighten somebody else's day. I'll never forget, I, th I, can't, I think I told you this story, but uh, it was four or five years ago, and, and we were, uh, Trina and I went and visited this class on teenagers and just doing some research on parents and working with troubled teenagers that were addicted to different things. And we sat in this group of about 30 parents and they just went around and told their story. And this one guy in particular was just sitting right across from me. Just, he sat there, as everyone shared their story, he just, he was just had his head down. You could just tell he was broken comes to be his time, he says, my wife and I were fighting because we can't decide what to do with our son who's addicted to drugs, he won't quit, and I want to ask him to leave, and she doesn't, and we can't, you know, not only is that compounding the problem with his addiction, but now we're doing this, and you get it's just total hopelessness. I saw, I want to jump out of my chair and just go, man, let me just talk to you and pray with you for a moment, but you can't. So everyone starts talking again, and he takes off. And um, we get out in the car, and I say to Trina, did you see that guy? We haven't seen a person broken like that in a while, and we just stopped, and I prayed for him. I think it was a month later, sitting in the, in the conference room, and there's a couple from the outside that come in, and they want to talk to me. Sit down and see this guy. Like, I know him from somewhere. I'm sitting there just trying to figure out who he is, and he's telling me his story about his son. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me, this is the guy that was in the meeting. And this was his story. He said, my son has been addicted to drugs. And this last few days ago, he committed suicide in our backyard. Oh. How did I tell you that? You know, 
I don't feel guilty about it because at that point I, there's not much I could have done because he left and I couldn't stand up in the meeting and go, hey, I'm a preacher, let me pray for you. But that reminds me that every encounter that we are involved in, loved ones, we have to have a sense of what? Making the most of every opportunity. And I want to challenge you in this next season that you take some flyers, take some risks, take some time for opportunity to bring Jesus into times and situations that you go, oh boy, if I do this, I might look really. Do it. Good. Graciously, lovingly, naturally, but do it. You never know what God can do and you never know what God can save with people who will just take a little leap and use their time. Third thing he says here is they're going to understand the Lord's will in verse 17. Notice how Paul links wisdom and the understanding of God's will here. Listen, loved ones, Ephesians 4 through 6 is filled, it is replete with stuff on God's will and how he wants you to live. Most people see God's will as these two railroad tracks and you're the engine that's got to get on them. God's will is not that way. God's will is more like guardrails that you get to move in. Scripture says in Psalms that God wants to give you the desires of your heart. If your heart is pure and right with God, guess what? Most of your desires will be what? Pure and right. And so you can make decisions based on being a pure and right person who lives with Jesus. And you don't have to sit there and fret. Oh, 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 should I do this? Should I do that? Do it! If it isn't wrong, if it isn't illegal, unethical, unbiblical, and immoral, do it. Go have fun. Don't make God's will a big deal. Now, there are six areas that are... Um, God's will is made up of three things. I'm, I'm going to give you a flyby on this, okay? There's the providential will of God. That's what God has decreed and determined in heaven, and he says this is going to happen no matter what. you got nothing to do with it. You can't pray it out, believe for it, or what. It's just going to happen. There's the moral will of God. That's basically what's in the Bible. He says don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't lust, don't do this, don't do, don't do it. That's his moral will. And then there's the personal will of God. As you grow to understand the providence of God and His moral laws and you live it out, guess what? His will will unfold for you very naturally. But some people go, well, okay, the Bible does talk about God's will. Let me give them to you really quick, six things. God's will, and this is what it states. you got the scriptures there. I'm not going to read them because I've got to get through this. Since a flyby. God's will is that every person be saved. Come to know him personally. I have a lot of there people that come and say, well, you know, I want to know God. Do you know him personally? I want to know God's will. Well, do you know God? Well, no, but I want to know his will. Well, he wants you to know him because you won't be able to know his will until you know him. Secondly, be submissive. Be submissive. This is a hard one for some. Nobody wants to submit at work. Nobody wants to submit in church. Nobody wants to submit to your parents. Nobody wants to submit to this, that, or the other. That's God's will for you. Thirdly, be sanctified. The word means set apart. We talked about this last week. Sanctified means to be without impurity or pollution. That we're set apart from the world's ways and set apart to God's ways. We live on the right side of His moral will. We choose His 
way. We put off the things that he doesn't want us to put on. You saw the Olympics. You remember the runners? They get out there in their track outfits and they're warming up. And then all of a sudden they strip down to what? They got these little skivvies, almost look like Speedos and these top, tight tops. Why? Because they don't want anything hindering them. And they go because they don't have the sweats. They don't have the top that weighs them down or hinders them. Loved ones, that's what, that's what God's saying here. Be set apart. Get rid of the stuff that's going to hinder you. Fourth thing is be willing to suffer. Yeah, I don't like that either. But there's going to come times in your life when the pressure of life, because you stand up for Jesus Christ, comes and you stand up in a very nice, kind, gracious, loving, normal, natural way and people are still going to cause you problems. Guess what? Be willing to suffer. That's his will for every one of us. Say thanks. We'll talk about this one in a few minutes. And it says be spirit filled. We'll talk about that one in just a minute too. See, as children of the light, we want to be committed to Jesus and to know what pleases Jesus. That's what we talked a little bit about last week. As I live, the more I live, friends, I hope the more that you live, I want to know what, what he wants, what he desires so I can imitate that. So the thing here he says, and it's his will, is to walk in the Spirit. See what he says? And don't get drunk. He says, um, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's two commands there. Literally in the original, they're commands. Don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk. What do you mean? Don't get drunk. <laughs> this would be a great standalone message here, but I want to make a few points because people ask. There are teetotalers here and there are those who imbibe adult beverages at Creekside. Now hear me, and this is kind of serious. I know it's kind of funny, but it's kind of serious because it's a command. The Bible doesn't forbid drinking. It does forbid drunkenness. What is drunk? You might say. <laughs> I know how people operate, you know? Okay, legally, it's the blood con content of 0 0.8, but we're not legalists and we don't carry breathalyzers, do we? Well, Freddie does, but uh, <laughs> if he's, I saw him earlier. The dictionary defines it as having faculties impaired by alcohol. Alcohol, friends, you know this, it's a drug, it's a depressant that can cloud thinking and impair judgment. Paul says it leads to debauchery. The word in the, in the original language, for those of you woe who care, is asotia. It's an interesting word. It literally means excess. It means to riot. It means wastefulness. And that's when you think of really ongoing drunk people, aren't those the things that happen? It's excess. They become riotous in their vocabulary, their talking, and their living, and they also become very wasteful. Now, hear this. This is what's interesting: is that there, that this is the negative root word of another word related to it called soteria. 
The word soteria means salvation. That's the word that is used where it says we come to Jesus Christ. So you've got the positive of coming to Christ in relationship and the negative that talks about debauchery and drunkenness. I wonder if Paul isn't suggesting here that people try and find salvation in drink to escape their immediate problems. The comparison that Paul makes here it's possible that he is suggesting that to people, well, you know what, this will help me find some salvation for this day or this week or this month. And isn't it interesting that we'll oftentimes describe getting drunk or, hey, man, really got wasted. Asotia. How appropriate is that word when you think of the wasted lives? The broken families, the crime, the violence, the deaths, the divorces, the hurt, the loneliness that is related to alcoholism. Why? Because people use it to self-medicate, to give strength, help, relief, to get through a season, a time, a day, every day, whatever it is, but ultimately it wastes life when it's done in excess. I'm sure there's some of you here tonight, you might be imbibing too much. And I think at the end, I'm going to give people an opportunity, not just for that, but just whatever we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. But don't hide it. Drag it out into the light. Get some help. As I said last week, I would do anything to help you. It gets worse before it gets better. I've seen it over and over again. Now let me give you a quick sidebar about Creekside. As a church, we understand and acknowledge, I teach because I want to be biblical, that you cannot say that abstinence is biblical. You cannot say you cannot drink. It, it, you just can't do that. And I admire and I'll applaud anybody who says they don't drink and never have. And that's great. But don't put other people down that do, that can do it with a sense of, no pun intended, sobriety. But we do as a church want to always acknowledge the principle of Romans 14 where it says that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is joy, love, and peace in the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that there may be people, number one, who could be offended by people drinking. We also acknowledge the fact that there are many people in Creekside that have come out of alcoholism, so we want to be very sensitive to that. Therefore, we have a policy that at Creekside events, sponsored Creekside events that has the banner of Creekside over them, we say we will not serve alcohol. Crab feed. Um, communion. Uh, growth groups, so on and so forth. Now, we're not here to control what you do on your own, but at a Creekside event, we, we, we say you cannot serve alcohol. It is not to be prohibitive. We understand what happened with prohibition. It didn't, it didn't do nothing but build up the mafia and all the crooks. Prohibition never works on anything, loved ones. But we do want to talk about it in a protective stance, that we will protect those who might be offended, 
and those who might be coming out of alcoholism, we do not want to be any part of their backsliddenness. Now, yeah, we sell it at the crab feed because people donate it, <clears throat> but we don't allow people to drink here. Although the last couple of years, we found some people kind of sneaking it. <laughs> Had to deal with that. But, do you understand that? That's how we deal with it as a church. Now, Paul has a focus here. It is not either or. He's not saying that, you know, well, you're bad if you drink, or you're, you're, you're really good if you're filled with the Spirit. It's, it's not about that. But he's saying, choose your right source of joy and peace. Unlike other intoxicants that can dull our senses, the Holy Spirit sharpens our senses and increases our perception. As well as the reality. He doesn't decrease it. You're enabled with the Holy Spirit to live purely and to respond to others in a godly, loving way that is real and natural. In this day, many of the ancient celebrations were focused around drinking to an extreme, and people started mistreating people. So Paul is saying that's why you've got to be careful. Paul's focus isn't the distilled spirits, but he calls us, Christ followers, to walk in the light and to drink deeply of the dynamic Spirit of God and allow that to fill us with His presence and with the indwelling of His life as we yield with Him. It's not a prohibition against anything but drunkenness. Question for you. This idea of being filled with the Spirit is an ongoing thing. Are you more open and yielding to the filling of God's Spirit to you today than you ever have been? Is God's Spirit more at home with you today than He ever has been? Uh, let's, let's say you invite a respected Creekside couple over that's been walking with God for since Moses. And you just, you just look at this couple and you go, wow, Billy and Normie Butler. <laughs> and you invite them over to your home. And now how would you feel after you had this nice dinner for them, Billy and Normie, and they're the kind of people who would probably do this, they got up, started walking around your house, kind of snooping. <laughs> They started checking your TV, see what programs you recently watched, what your video viewing habits were. They picked up and went through all your magazine and reading materials, did a history check of your online activity. Oh, here's a journal. I think I'll just kind of read through it. Oh, we're in their office. I think I'll look at their checkbook, their tax receipts, and let's see how much they're giving. Here's their Bible. See how much dust is on it. Let's see if anything's under... Oh, these pages are pretty new. And then they'd probably think, just imagine if they were able to listen to the talk around your kitchen table and you didn't know they were there. Man, that sounds like guests gone wild. Let's make a movie, you know? Can you imagine that? They wouldn't really do that. They're very kind and wonderful, gracious, godly people. But you see, just like our walk is how we live, 
Can I tell you something? Our home can really be a snapshot of how our heart is doing. How's your walk with the Spirit going? Do you feel like you're getting filled day in and day out by that Spirit? Are you allowing it to inhabit your life? Is He at home in your life, in your heart, and filling you with His presence? Or is He more like an invited guest? There is a big difference, you know. The command here that Paul makes is allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. You cooperate with it by being open, receptive, and surrender on a daily basis where you hear the Spirit speak to you. We've been talking about this for two weeks. You say yes to this. You say no to this as the Spirit speaks to you. The idea here is be ye being filled. Here, here, here. Here. Why? Because it leaks. You mean the Holy Spirit leaks? No, I don't think so. But there's a sense of where other things can fill us, can't it? Busyness. Focus on money. Focus on things. Focus on work. And pretty soon we're walking and doing our own thing. And where's the Holy Spirit in all of it? So many things can fill us. Not all bad stuff. But God says, I want you to be open moment by moment in your life to the work of the Holy Spirit. Because ultimately, that's going to be one of the keys to walking in the light and in purity and in wisdom. A lot of you think I don't know what this is. <laughs> this is a work glove. I use it to do work around here. Whack weeds. Trim trees put down bark dust. I mean, you name it, these gloves have just about done it. I wish I could go to this glove. Hey, go whack the weeds. Go cut the trees. But it can't, can it? When does this glove work and when is it operative? It's when I fill it and empower it with my hand. I know it's pretty corny, but loved ones, you and I are God's glove. To be filled with his life so he can work his purposes and live his presence in us and through us so that we can become changed from experience to experience, from this happening to this happening, so we are walking as children of the light and we're not looking like the same person back here that we were 10, 12, 15 years ago, maybe even 15 minutes ago. The power and the presence of God's Spirit, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, is to work in you in such a way that you begin to change and radiate the life of God everywhere you go. I want that. Amen. I want that more. I, I, I trust you do too. That's what this is all about. The last thing we're going to deal with is, he says, walk in fellowship. He says, speak to one another psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, make music to the Lord. You know this, one of the reasons we decided to come out here is because we believe the church's greatest work isn't in there, but it's done Monday through Saturday. But hear me, we need Sunday because of the demands that every one of us face during the week. We need the support. We need the prayers. We need the love, the encouragement. Those things we hardly ever get from the world out there. 
Your living in the Spirit, friends, is a life of love. It's all about imitating Jesus. When you're part of a group of Christ followers, you should be serving and contributing and active and giving to those here and in this place. Hear me. Fellowship is not simply observing while other people sing. It is not observing while other people connect. It is not observing while other people are sharing life. That's why Paul says here, speaking to one another. You are not in fellowship, friends. Hear me. Let me just make you all mad right now, some of you. You are not in fellowship because you are present. You are in fellowship because you participate in the life of God on a vertical level and a horizontal level. There is nowhere in the New Testament that says you get to come in your own little cubbyhole, have your own private little religion, and your own little worship session. It is about connection and involving yourself in the most important, the greatest plan, and the highest stakes game in town. And that is the life of Jesus Christ and the life of his followers. So that we can go out and be the church on Monday through Saturday. Because if you can't do it here... I'm sorry, you won't do it out there. Dang, I haven't preached for a while, have I? There's nowhere in the New Testament where you can be a lone ranger. I told you what happens. Lone rangers, two things. They either get shot out of the saddle or they get crazy. Crazy doctrine, crazy Christian beliefs, and they're the only ones that have a corner on truth. You know why? Because they know it all, and they don't need preachers. They don't need you. Challenge. No, that's not what Paul says. See, this happens, loved ones, when we come and have hot dogs and hamburgers together. No, really, that's how. That's the first step. Some of you wouldn't even come. And let, but, oh, I'll go have a hot dog and a hamburger. And then, and then you're kind of forced to, well, okay, i got 45 minutes to eat here. i got to talk to somebody. Hey, what service do you go to? Well, maybe I'll go to that one. See what I mean? Start somewhere. I met Ryan tonight. Comes up to me, grabs me. Hey, how you doing? Are you a pastor? Blake says you're the man. I'm like, yeah, okay. Who are you? I'm Ryan. First time here? Yeah. What are you doing here? Well, I come to help set up. Yeah. Really? How'd you find out about it? I couldn't remember what he said, but <laughs> comes and helps set up. He's part of the fellowship. He's participating. <laughs> yes. Haven't we learned that in the last eight months? <laughs> At our tables, face to face. Yes, we people left our church. I've had people go to some churches that I know of, and they said, we love you, Pastor. We love the church. We love to worship. And when you go back to regular seating, we'll come back. <laughs> and I said, and I didn't get to talk to them, and I love them, but then they don't know what we're about. I'm going to ask you probably, I'm going to ask you next week, you know what, why, why wouldn't people want to come and be a part of this tonight or any of these nights? I know it's a flyer, it's different, it's weird, it's crazy, it's Saturday, it's outside. But are, are we that wedded to tradition? 
we can't change and do something different? The one thing I know that has happened on these nights, new people have come. See, this is all about loving the body of Christ. This weekend, my kids are going to come over tomorrow and Monday. Our grandkid and two boys and daughter-in-law. What we decided to do this year was just, we're going to have a staycation. We're going to come over. It's going to be like a big Riley slumber party. We're going to watch movies and eat bad food. Play games where I get really mad and thought of win. <laughs> the boys are used to that, so it's what they grew up with. But you know what's going to be really fun is we're all going to be there. We're going to be participating. We're all going to be together for about 48 hours. That warms this father's heart. Can you imagine how it warms the father's heart when you come on a Sunday, maybe a Saturday, and you connect? And you participate? And you don't use, well, I'm just so timid, or I'm just so unworthy. Well, we all are, but there's a place for everybody. Can you sense the Father's delight in his kids when you participate and don't isolate? Last thing. He says, people that walk with wisdom, they're going to walk with gratefulness and they're going to be thankful. Can I tell you that this is one of the most attractive attributes that I find on people? Can I also tell you I think it's one of the ugliest things that I see in people who live without, who live with unthankfulness? Because you know what they usually do? They usually grumble or live with a sense of entitlement. It drives me crazy if people just can't say thank you for something. Can't appreciate things, small things, words, whatever it is. See, when you don't complain and grumble, but you live with a thankful heart, it's a sign that you know your God and you trust your God. He says, this is my will, that you live with thankfulness. Why? Because he knows that when you do that, it shows that you're thankful and you're loving and you're trusting of him and his ways. doesn't matter what happens in your life. And then you know what happens? It's about this Monday through Saturday thing. People around you go, wow, I can't believe that happened to you. How can you keep it together? I don't know. I'm just so thankful I know Jesus. And, and I know that he knows what's going to happen in two weeks, two months, two years. And that's what I'm going to live with. Hey, listen, don't think this is easy. Don't think I don't have my times. But I always come back. I'm just thankful I know Jesus. When you complain, your ministry will always diminish loved ones. But when you're thankful and have that kind of a spirit, people will always be around and they'll be attracted to you. Because they'll know there's a different spirit in you. <laughs> it's, you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And that will make all the difference in your life, in your home, in this world. Amen.